quick shout out guys to our sponsors, Anglesey Family Chiropractic. They're in Coeur d'Alene, they're in Spokane Valley. Dr. Craig Anglesey, I've known this dude for 30 plus years. He's an amazing family man awesome chiropractor will get you feeling great go check him out hey i also want to give a shout out to the threads podcast life unfiltered look listening to this show is like sitting around a campfire with your best friends the talk is real the humor is natural and personal growth is sparked by authenticity go check them out threads podcast life unfiltered dr benjamin hardy you're an organizational psychologist speaker best-selling author of willpower doesn't work in your brand new book personality isn't permanent thank you again for your time man i appreciate it Happy to be here with you. I want to go back a little bit because I always love to start from the beginning there. What was childhood like for you and what did you inspire to be when you were a kid? So I have no clue actually to be honest with you what I remember, uh, what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I do, I did spend an enormous amount of time snowboarding and okay. so I think a part of me wanted to be a, a snowboarder but I have no clue what I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I noticed reading through your bio, a lot of my friends, they, they have uh, adopted children and you've gone through that adoption process and you have your three oldest kids are adopted and then your wife became pregnant with twins. So you went from zero kids to five uh, at the end of 2018 there. That's awesome. What a blessing. But how's things going with that? And what was that like going from zero to five so fast? It was crazy. Um, I mean, we, 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 we had the older three, the foster kids. We did have them for three years, but we had no clue we were going to be able to adopt them. There was a lot of, ep like, our caseworker did not like us. Oh, wow. And, yeah, she, well, because we were seeking to adopt the kids, and, like, the caseworker really wanted to, like, control the situation. And so she did a few illegal things trying to take the kids out of our house and was not able to do that. Um, but ultimately, there was, like, a really amazing attorney. His name's Dale Dove because we were in South Carolina. And... He just really wanted to help kids. He wanted to help the foster system, like have just good opportunities for parents to adopt kids rather than like just the kids did not have good opportunities. So he ended up changing the laws. You know, he took several cases up to the state level, changed the laws. And so we unexpectedly were able to adopt the kids. Um, so it was totally amazing. The whole process was different, though. Like it was more my wife's idea to be a foster parent. I okay. was open to it. But it was not my plan, not my goal. And sure. admittedly, it took a while for me to get adjusted to it very much. I mean, it took a while for me to learn how to, like, love the kids and invest in them. And, you know, and then obviously we get, a, you know, we get uh, pregnant one month after we adopt the kids. And that's just what happens, man. So our girls are now uh, in Florida because we live in we live in Florida. So there's there's swimming pools everywhere. So our little twins are now doing swimming lessons and stuff. Okay. But it's great. It, it's it's crazy. It's, you know, they're now all homeschooled given the situation, coronavirus, and we're just kind of hanging out, man. <laughs> do you wow. have kids? I do. Yeah. My kids are 10 and six and, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's definitely an interesting transition with this coronavirus thing going on. And my wife, the super trooper happened to become basically substitute teacher, uh, for two kids in two different grades at the same time, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's like my wife too. It's crazy. My kids are like the older ones are 12, 10 and 12, 10 and eight. So okay. similar ages. Yeah. Wow. Uh, one of the things that I, I found interesting on your website, though, is uh, between 2015 and 2018, you were able to grow your email list to almost 400,000 people without any paid advertising. How did you go about making that happen? Yeah, it was obviously uh, very strategic. Um, so I used medium.com. Medium.com was and is a great platform. I don't really use it that much anymore, although I will start using it again. I'm going to be blogging again soon, but it's it's not the same platform it used to be. Okay. Uh, so I, I was very clear w around 2015 that I wanted to become a professional author. Like that was like my future self that I was envisioning. And so 
I, I kind of just educated myself on like how to actually go about doing that. And I decided that I needed to get a six figure book deal um, from one of the big five. Like that was my goal. Mm. And so it's nice to have a goal that you can then reverse engineer. And I, I asked a lot of people questions, bloggers, agents, like how do you actually get a six figure book deal? Cause I just want to make a decent living as an author. Yeah. And the advice that I overwhelmingly got was in order to do something like that, you would need at least a hundred thousand email subscribers. And so I was like, okay, well, how do you do that? And then basically just came to the idea of blogging and learning how to do it virally. So like I, I took an online course from John Morrow, who's, who's done a lot of good online courses, teaching people how to like pitch their articles onto like places like Huffington Post and stuff like that. And he, he teaches you how to write viral headlines and stuff. So I took that course, started writing on Medium and just like was studying it. I was just studying virality. I was studying like articles that were getting tons of views. I, I learned how to... Um, like one, one big thing that happened probably a couple months after I started blogging, my first really viral article occurred, which was crazy, you know, like tens of millions of views. Wow. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, but what happened was, is I was sending people to my website and I was giving away a free ebook because I learned that you should give something away for free and try to get emails. But I was sending people to my website and that's a really dumb idea because on your website, you've got too many things on there. You've got too many options. There's too many distractions. And so I read Russell Brunson's book, Dot Com Secrets, and it talks about, um, you know, building landing pages. And so I then started sending people to a landing page where there's no option except for just to give your email or to go away. And so, you know, that was a big shift because I went from about getting like a couple hundred emails a month to a couple thousand just by not sending people to my website. And then I changed my giveaway to a free like short checklist rather than an ebook, like something really just short and useful. And then it, then I was getting 20,000 emails a month for about two years. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's awesome. I love Russell Brunson, man. Those books that he's put out and, and what he does is, is unbelievable. He's a stud. He's kind of in your neck of the woods too, right? Yeah, so he's down in southern Idaho, oh, about, okay. eight hours, uh, about eight hours from me. So he's in Boise here. I used to live down in that area, but never ran into him, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I was like that weird stalker guy. I was like, oh, where's brother? Maybe, where's, maybe I'll run into Russell, you know, <laughs> but uh, never actually did. So, But you've written two books. You, you've got, like I said, Willpower Doesn't Work, and then the brand new one called Personal Isn't Permanent, which provides science-based strategies for reaffirming past memories, upgrading your subconscious, and, and tons more. But what's this book about? And why did you decide to write this? There's a few reasons why I wrote this book. Um, when I got my PhD, I was really surprised. So personality is probably the core subject in yeah. psychology. It's There's a million different theories on it, kind of a loose and hard to understand concept. And one of the things that I learned in my PhD program, one of the big you know things you do as an organizational psychologist, it's called psychometrics. You develop tests um, to study things. And all of my professors told me over and over that most tests that are developed out there are garbage. Things like you know, Myers and Briggs and things like that. Like a lot of, most of the mainstream personality tests are just non-scientific. They're non-valid, non-consistent. Non-valid meaning they're not actually studying what they say they're studying. Okay. Non-consistent meaning you're going to get different scores in different situations. Like, you know, in one situation you're going to get a totally different score. And what the research shows, the longer the distance of time between tests, the less correlated they will be. That was one of the things, I, that was not the reason I studied, I mean, wrote the book, but it's really interesting. And I explained very in depth, like, why taking these tests seriously will very much limit <laughs> your psychology and limit your goals. I also read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've read that one. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. Okay. And one of the, that, it's like the most definitive book on trauma these days. Okay. And one of the things that the author says, his name's Bessel van der Kolk. He talked about how trauma creates a frozen personality. Essentially, it traps you in the past, keeps you stuck, kind of rigid in your emotions, dogmatic in your thinking, very non-flexible. And flexibility, uh, trauma also shatters and destroys confidence and imagination, which, you know, are key for learning. Yeah. So, so, you know, your personality is never really to stop developing, 
although I think a lot of us are, are more consistent in our personality than we could or should be. And the reasons for that are not because our personality is innate and, and not that it's fixed or unchangeable. It's because we either have you know unresolved trauma, we're still staying in the same roles and environments for too long, we're, we're still telling the same story about ourselves. And so there's reasons why people get stuck. And it's not that they have an innate personality. It's, it's that their personality has been trained and it's stuck. <laughs> wow. And how do people get unstuck? I mean, obviously, a lot, you kind of mentioned the impact of trauma on personalities and stuff like that. But how do people get through that and, you know, kind of get on the right path of getting through that trauma? Yeah, I mean, there's a really good quote from Peter Levine. He's a trauma expert. He says that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Okay. So yeah. one of the things you need to do is, is address it. You need to actually, like one of the core aspects of trauma is, is that it's avoided. Um, it's isolated it's, and it's, it's not dealt with. And so, you know, journaling is an enormously powerful technique. Uh, it's really important to realize also that memory is fluid. Like memory, like memory is not a filing cabinet. Like every time you you pull up a memory, you actually change it. <laughs> and okay. so like, yeah, so like your memory and your narrative and your, your view of the past is very subjective. Like, so mm -hmm. Stephen Covey once had this idea and he said it correctly that like, we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. The same is true of your past. You don't see the past as it is, you see the past as you are. And so you see the past very much from a narrow perspective. Um, and that perspective can and does change. And I'm sure that you've had experiences where you've, you've learned something and then you, it made you cause and reflect maybe on something differently that you once saw. Like you probably changed your perspective on things, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so that's really like, that's a crucial thing to changing trauma is you've got to change your perspective on it because how you're seeing it right now is probably from the perspective of when the event occurred. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment of that. Like, so in psychology, we talk about how there's like two types of emotions. There's your primary emotion or your initial reaction. And then there's secondary emotions, which is like, how you feel about your initial reaction or like what you do about it. You can essentially choose, you can't really, I mean, you, you can get better, I guess, at choosing your initial reaction, but you know, sometimes we just react in various ways, but it's what, it's like the, what you do with the next step, which is like the reframing aspect. And right. so you can go back, obviously journal about, think about, and even talk about. That's why the empathetic witnessing is important. Um, the more you expose yourself to something, the more you neutralize the emotions of it. You know, they call that exposure therapy. And so the past is actually best if it's information, not emotion. I mean, it could be positive emotions, but if it's negative emotions and you're not dealing with it and if you're avoiding it, then it's then your personality is literally a coping mechanism. Um, but if your past is information, then you can use it to make better decisions. And And sometimes that takes actually getting more information. Like as an example, like my, I grew up in a pretty traumatic situation like my parents got divorced my father became a heavy drug addict um and it was just very unstable for for, for several years and um for a long like when 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 things like this happen you form stories in your mind as to why things are the way they are and and your stories very much shape your identity it's actually how you shape your identity and your worldview is through stories which are generally out of reactions to events yeah. unless you reframe the meaning of those events so that you can make a better perspective of this story um so for a long time, I was, you know, very much struggling. But in recent years, and by the way, over the years, my dad has overcome this stuff, you know, and he's he's no longer in that state. Yeah. But in better in, in better understanding my own past, I've I've asked my father, you know, what was your perspective on these events? Like, what led you to this? Like, what happened? And, and, and I was very surprised to hear his perspectives. And I, I had an enor enormous sense of empathy and perspective. And it allowed me to not feel as negative about it. And even to 
recognize a lot of the positives about these things. And you talked about goals a little bit. Why are goals so fundamental to identity? Um, your goals are literally what define identity. So like think about yourself as an example. Like obviously you're positive. At some point you decide that this is what you, what you want to do and like see yourself that way. Um, before you were podcasting, you maybe had a goal. Five years ago, you had different goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so people are just unaware, often not clearly intentional about their goals. But like we all have like every behavior is goal focused. Every behavior is goal oriented. Like even going to the gas station to fill up your car actually is a goal driven behavior. Like every sure. behavior is driven by a goal. And so the question then becomes like, well, what are you actually going for in your life? Because if you're not sure, then you don't really know who you are. Um, it's impossible to live intentionally without actually deciding what you want and what you stand for. Um, so like in psychology, uh, there's a lot of good research on personality and identity talking about how it's, it's really good for decision making to distinguish your current, your former and your future self. Like they're all three different people. You're not the same person yeah. you were five years ago. You're in a different situation, a different context. You have a different view of the world, different priorities. Um, and you're not going to be the same person in the future. They're a different person. Um, and it's good for decision making to realize that your future self is going to see things quite differently. Yeah. And so in order to actually have an identity, one that you've consciously like really thought about and chosen, you have to think about who your future self is. You have to think like, who do I aspire to be? What do I stand for? Like, what do I want? You know, if you if you don't define any of that, then you actually have no clue who you currently are. Because if you don't know what you want, then it doesn't really you have no clue who you even are where, or what to do. Right. And so, so in order to live intentionally and deliberately, and, and if you've heard of the concept of deliberate practice, have you heard of that concept? I don't know if I have actually. Have, you've probably heard the 10,000 hour rule, right? By Malcolm yeah. Gladwell. Yeah, so yeah. It, it comes from the same idea, but essentially okay. the, the lip, So like, as an example, like if you go to the gym every single day and just do the same workout for like years and have no, no goal, you're just essentially just going to the gym. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like it's not going to lead to anything specific. Right. Um, but if you have something spe like a specific vision in mind of who you want to be, um, then you can, that's like literally what's required to engage in deliberate practice. And deliberate practice is the type of training and education that leads to uh, decided change. Gotcha. And so, yeah, it's, it's just important to realize that like what you're aspiring towards is literally the thing shaping your identity. You mm -hmm. know, like if it's to be a good father or if it's to like be successful or if it's not, like if it's to fit in with your friends, you got to like figure out what am I actually going for? Because that's how I'm seeing myself. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people will talk about morning routines. And for me, I'm an early riser. I get up at four o'clock, six, uh, 4 a.m., six days a week. And, you know, is there a morning routine that you have? And what are those routines? What's your morning routine actually look like? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I'm a huge believer in morning routines as well. I actually think that morning routines are crucial for living intentionally on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're going to like actually like because they say that you know, subconscious makes up about 95% of your behavior. Mm. And so like 95% of us is, you know, living on autopilot and it's very much triggered by your environment, you know? And so it's like, if you want to spend more and more of your time living intentionally, you have to actually be working towards something specific, you know, being intentional right. means you're working towards something, you're going in a direction towards a goal yeah. and, or, or towards an objective. And so I think it's essential first thing in the morning to like get yourself in the state of your future self and think, what do I need to do today to move myself in the direction of who I want to become so that you can spend most of your time living consciously and most of your time living intentionally. Um, yeah. So I mean, so for me, what I do in order to accomplish that is, I mean, I usually wake up around five myself. Like today, I actually woke up at four. Okay. I, I just woke up before my alarm and I've done, I've done that a lot lately. But 
I, I, I like to um, I like to do creative stuff in the morning, like before my brain gets bogged down by all of the information of the day. So like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll usually leave um, my house. Um, you know, back when gyms were open, I would go to go to the gym, and I would <laughs> and I, and before him, you know, before I would go in, I would always journal. Um, okay. And I still journal now. I just drive to my office. I have a, a separate house, like 15 minutes away from my my primary residence. I guess you could say. So I'll just drive here, journal. I like journaling in my car because there's just no distractions in the car. And uh, I usually just journal about what's going on, what I'm focused on, what I want to focus on, what I want to accomplish today. Um, and usually try to get myself into a really good mindset. Just like, And then, then I'll usually um, either exercise or um, just like start working. Like for me, that's usually writing. Like right. I'm in the middle of writing a book right now. Uh, Back when I was blogging, I would always like, I, w- I mean, most of my blog posts were probably published before 8 a.m. You know, like I would just write like a couple hours between like six and eight and uh, then I would just move on with the next thing. So I okay. think getting creative accomplishments done in the morning really builds confidence and gets you moving forward. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the main things. It's yeah. just kind of exercise, focusing on my goals, journaling, making, you know, actual progress towards what I'm trying to accomplish. My wife, you know, given the five kids, my wife is usually, we've kind of really kind of clarified roles and like really try to support each other. And so she, she'll handle the kids in the morning. I usually work until like two or three, pick up the kids from school and then just home for the rest of the day and totally focus on the family. But she's, I love mornings. And so she, she's totally supported me on that behalf. That's awesome. I love, yeah, uh, my my wife as well, and she we kind of do that same thing. As she takes care of them in the mornings, and I take care of them in the evening, and it works out great for us too. It's a good want, combo. Yeah. I want to do a shift to a few fun questions for you. I've got these pod decks. They're just random fun questions for us podcasters. We'll pull it out and maybe see if there's a – hopefully it's a winner, not a flop. Uh, we'll see. What's something weird that you would recommend everyone try at least once? Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not that weird, but I definitely recommend skydiving. It was enjoyable. (laughs) That is crazy. So how many times have you done done that? No. I just did it it once in Hawaii, but I mean, I I think it's actually a great experience. Yeah. Okay. I... (laughs) It's weird. I'm afraid of heights, but if there's water underneath me, I don't have fear. So bridge jumping, cliff jumping, no problem. If there's no water underneath me, that's where I kind of get freaked out. (laughs) So you freak out with land down below? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm on a ledge and looking over, I'm like, oh, no, I got to scoot back. But if there's water, I'm like, yeah, cool. 100 foot jump, no problem. Let's do it. You know, like, (laughs) it's very weird. weird. Do you do 100 foot drops? Uh, My biggest jump is about a 60 right now. That's pretty big. Yeah. How long ago was that? I did that about see, six years ago was the, the last time I did a big jump. Most jumps up where I'm at, about 15 to 20 foot uh, is typically average. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, and I, I got my 10-year-old to jump off her first cliff two summers ago when she was just eight years old. And the cliff was like eight feet high. But for her, it was a huge jump. And so it was really cool. She takes after me in that sense that she has no fear, just wants to jump off. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, now, you said you were writing a book right now. What book are you reading right now? I'm reading a book called The Powers of Two. Uh, I've read it before. Um, okay. It's just such a good book on creativity. Um, so that's – it's it's very incredible book. Highly recommended. Very nice. I, I'm a music guy, so I love to ask this question. But what's a favorite type of music or do you have a favorite band that you like to listen to? Uh, I listen to so much music. I okay. listen to uh, a lot of – you know, like ambient, a lot of classical, but I also listen to a lot of like 
sometimes house and stuff like i don't know if you, i mean as far as like uh, indie or house i don't know if you've ever heard of like the radio department uh no i haven't heard that one yet yeah they're pretty good but okay. i mean i listen I, mo I mostly listen to like ambient stuff while i'm just writing but i, I do yeah. i do uh listen to pop you know i, I listen yeah. to a lot of stuff when i'm like running and stuff yeah. what about you what do you like man you know, I, I used to be this only metalhead when I was a kid, you know, in high sure. school. And then I worked for Universal Music for a while. And so it kind of opened my eyes to different genres of music. And I pretty much listen to still rock. But I when I'm journaling or, you know, trying to just concentrate, I'll put on like the soundtrack to Tron, you know, or just that kind of yeah. uh, digitized yeah. EDM I've sort listened, of stuff. I've listened to a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I listen to that stuff a lot when I'm writing. It's good, huh? It, like just kind of zones you in. Yeah, it helps me just like sucks me right into what I'm doing. It helps me really focus. So like if I'm studying for a test, I, I don't like silence. So if I'm having some sort of, you know, beats in the back, it really helps me kind of stay focused on things. It totally does. It totally does. I've listened to it. My dad was a total metalhead. So like, okay. you know, like I, I would grow up listening to like, you know, like Rage Against the Machine, Iron Maiden, yeah. just like Dio, all this stuff. It was always on. <laughs> okay, okay. Last question for you. What's a, a family fun or family favorite board game that you guys like to play? We've been playing. I mean, we like we like Risk and we like Ticket to Ride, but lately we've been playing Life. Oh, yes, life. <laughs> Life's kind of funny. Yeah, with like the 11-year-old. Have you you've played Life, right? Yeah, my kids love it. Hilarious. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it is it is fun playing with kids, and, and my kids are like, Dad, you got eight kids now, or you got five kids. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Know, it gets all it gets all expensive later in life and stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a it's a fun, it's, it's a funny game. I mean. It, cleverly created because you're like holy cow like this is this is to some degree accurate <laughs> right I, I see it way different now as an adult than i did as a kid yeah so you're like <laughs> whoa this is like true <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's awesome how can people go out and follow you and support you go buy your books uh you could buy personalities and permanent anywhere um okay. you know audible anywhere etc um and then if you go to benjaminharry.com you can there's a lot of free giveaways and things like that free online courses if you uh, get the book. So yeah, BenjaminHardy.com and then just really find personalities and permanent anywhere. That's awesome. Hey, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, it has been such an honor to have you on the show. This is amazing conversation. I can't wait to release this. Thank you so much, man. You're awesome. <laughs> I love you, man. Brother, you have a good day, okay? You as well. Stay safe. What's we'll going on, guys? Thank you so much for watching this video today. I really appreciate it. If you could go and share this, everywhere you can leave us a review leave us a rating we would really appreciate it that helps us get the word spread out about our podcast and about our show and we can bring you amazing stories of the people that we bring on for the bearded biz and the top rated mma show thank you again have an awesome day